Most recently, my most recent slightly weird experience, I try not to make them think I think it's weird, was a sort of clergy jumble sale where I'd like to say some retired priests, but I also think probably the clothing of some dead ones was exhibited in a room and you could go and, you know, see if any of it fitted you. And I thought, I bet there's not a female short shirt for someone as tiny as me. And there were a couple, so I thought I'd try them on. Anyway, my adult children may be, the, they're the age of some of you guys here. They sort of helpfully act as the style police for me. So uh, one day I tried on these shirts and I was like, what, what do you think? And my son said, mum, you can get away with it, which I thought was probably praise indeed. And when I put this shirt and collar on for my daughter, she said, wow, if you asked me to tidy the kitchen and you were wearing that, I'd do it. So I thought, well, there's some sort of magic in the thing, isn't there? And also what I've learned as I study theology is that the more I know, the more I know I don't know. And today, as we explore God's gift of the Holy Spirit, please come onto that page with me. I invite you to engage with all that scripture tells us of the Holy Spirit, but also to know that what we do know is a tiny glimpse of what we will know over eternity. We see in part, one day we will see in full. So let's, uh, let's dare to allow our minds to expand in wonder at the gift of God that the Holy Spirit is. So I don't know if we've got the slide. Have we got the vision? Did we manage to get the... Uh, oh, yeah, look at that. Okay, so if you've been here a little while, you may have seen this on a postcard. If you, if you haven't taken one, please take one. But we were trying to work out why we existed as a church. And we thought, well, a good reason to exist is to join in uh, Jesus's prayer when he taught us how to pray and to agree with him that we want to see God's kingdom come to this city. And so that is why we exist as a church, to agree with our prayers and to agree with how we live, with our resources and our time and our lifestyle, we agree with God. We try to line ourselves up so that his kingdom is extended here on earth. And on the back of it, if we can see the second slide, I hope we've got that one too. Ah, yes. Some things that we treasure. And one is mission, proclaiming and demonstrating the good news of Jesus. And one is being empowered by God's presence. And one is scripture. And today, we just focus on this middle one, um, about being empowered by God's presence, what God's presence is, and how we join in with what the presence of God is doing. And it's very closely linked to the first one. And we'll see that as we go along, that as we are transformed by the presence of God, so we move from being ordinary to extraordinary. So the church moves from being ordinary to extraordinary. And we get to actually be the light of the world that Jesus intends the church to be. And we get to transform our contexts, our homes, our families, and our workplaces. So that's, that's where we're heading we, we engage with Holy Spirit and with the presence of God that we might be changed and the world might be changed and his kingdom might come. Okay, that's all good with the slides. Thank you, that was excellent. So in the reading earlier, we read in around about verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. 
And in this little extract from the passage, Jesus is promising his disciples, and that includes us, the gift of God himself. And he describes the gift of the Holy Spirit as another advocate, a helper, someone to travel with us. If you, uh, I've seen those holidays advertised where you can like walk or cycle in a van, take us all your luggage. And uh, Jesus is going to come with us and he's going to bear that burden. He, you know, he invites us to share our luggage load with him. And so Holy Spirit is, is, our, is our co-traveler as we, as we walk into the things of Jesus. And he is our encourager. And in this time when... Um, all of, you know, every single person has a monopoly on what's true, you know, with my truth, your truth. Uh, what, this, what scripture tells us the Holy Spirit does is to lead us into the truth of God. So if we're a bit confused about God and what, what is true and what isn't true, Holy Spirit's our helper and our guide in this way. And we do well to uh, follow the Holy Spirit to explore some of these things further. And Jesus has said something very important in this passage, but it's slightly hidden. And I just want to take a little look at it now. Um, it's round about verse 17, and he's talking of Holy Spirit, and he says, this is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Fair enough. Then he turns to the disciples, he turns to us, and he says, you know him. He abides with you and he will be with you. So just imagine that scene. The disciples, imagine you're the disciples and I get to be Jesus in this role play. And I'm like, guys, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you another helper. He's with you and he will be with you. Now, if I was Jesus at that point, I would have pointed at me. He's with you. Holy Spirit's in Jesus now and he will be in you. So um, one of the things that I've been able to do recently is pray with some people who've been Christians a very long time, but have unfortunately become a little bit separated from an understanding of the Holy Spirit. So their faith has been more like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scripture. And they've been a little bit suspicious of the Holy Spirit, a bit bewildered, and um, when I've talked to them, it feels like, his, like Holy Spirit is like a bit of a dessert. Do you know what I mean? Like, hmm, I'm full on the Father and the Son and the Scripture, but I do mind, I'll just pass on the pudding. I'll just pass on the Holy Spirit today. And um, this is really like a great miss out <laughs> because the very earliest Christian creeds, you know, statements of faith, were very keen to point out to the followers of Jesus that God, we worship one God. And the one God we worship is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're not divisible. They're not separable. They are entirely unified. And these ancient Christians, some of the really earliest ones, they put it like this. They described the eternal interwovenness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I'm inviting you, if you've thought of Holy Spirit as an optional extra... Instead, to reset yourself on the eternal interwovenness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in this ancient creed, uh, these, these theologians go on to say, the divinity, the godness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal and their majesty co-eternal. They are one. 
and their glory is equal, and their majesty, their wonderfulness is co-eternal. And a really helpful little picture from scripture of this interwovenness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see at the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus is immersed into the water, you know, the obedience of the Son, and he rises up from the water, and the Father says, you're my Son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit rests upon him. So if you find visual imagery helpful, that's a lovely visual example of the interwovenness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it makes a massive difference to our lives and to the lives of others when we really understand this. And this may be very familiar territory for you. And if it's very familiar territory for you, then I encourage you to sort of internalize it in such a way so that you can help Christians for whom this isn't normal practice. Because through my training, I get to meet many very faithful Christians who have never experienced the presence of God. They've never experienced being prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. There was one person um, I got to pray for last year, and um, he was at the front of the class, (laughs) and we were demonstrating, praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he said, Lord, please send your Holy Spirit. And we watched, and his face changed. And his face was still changed the next morning. And some of my colleagues who'd never seen that kind of prayer, never really understood the interwovenness, um, said, well, I've never seen prayer like that, but that man's face changed. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's God's transforming power. And it is the very, it is God himself. When we invite Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and our minds and our everyday lives, we are inviting God who made the universe to come and live in us. And that is an extraordinary, wonderful thing. And we will be changed by it for our own good and for the good of the world. It is indeed a really remarkable thing. It is breathtaking that the sacrifice of Jesus holds nothing back and invites not only invites us to not only experience mercy and forgiveness and peace with God, but we are also invited to experience the very presence and power of God himself. And that is what Jesus is offering those followers. And that is how he invites us to live. And this power involves uh, healing and supernatural insight gifts like prophecy and words of knowledge, whereby people might get an idea for something only God could know about somebody. And it also involves a deep companionship with our maker. So if your faith has been sitting in your head, that is a good place for it to sit. Holy Spirit invites an experience of that, which, you know, is a fuller place and and a sort of more equipping place to live. Jesus is saying, you will have this advocate, this companion forever. And that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I was thinking, this sounds great, doesn't it? So why aren't we like, God, pour out your Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence. And there's there's probably a number of reasons, but the one that came to mind is sometimes we're a bit afraid. And we can be a bit afraid of praying for someone. We could be afraid of being the person that says, come Holy Spirit in case nothing happens. 
Right now, we need to get over that because when, if I was praying for Paul, I'd be, I would honestly be thinking, oh Lord, please, you know, send your spirit, otherwise he's going to be disappointed. And I sort of have to line, I line that up in my head by thinking, God loves Paul so much. You know, Paul is his child and he will want to pour out his goodness. And uh, Luke, one of the gospel writers, says this, you, you people are evil, but you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more then will your father give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Asking is the qualifier. That's all we have to do, ask. But sometimes it's hard to ask. And um, one of the things I think is the fear that like God might not show up. And another thing that can hold us back is like, what if God does show up? What if I say, come Holy Spirit, and I have to like change my ways? Or I'm like uh, reorientated, or I have to give some things up, or like somehow I'm changed. And uh, understandable, but I, or what I can say about that is, whenever I've put myself in that place of saying, God, send your Holy Spirit, I probably have changed. And sometimes it's been startling, but it's always been for the better. So we can trust that because our Father knows how to give good gifts. And there's a lovely story um, that I think sums up how fear is not a barrier to God's Holy Spirit. And uh, this is written about in John 20, and I'm going to read it, read it to you, because I think it's a, a something, something especially is gonna, from this story is going to reach out to one or two of us today. So this is um, John 20, verse 19. Jesus has died, and he's beginning to make some resurrection appearances. He's appeared to the women in the morning, and uh, it's later on. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, And the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. That is the important bit. The disciples are waiting for the Holy Spirit Jesus promised, but they're waiting in absolute terror. They're having a lock-in because they're really scared of what... They're not like, oh, Lord, you know, we can do anything because you said you'd send your spirit. So we're just going to wait in a really faith-filled and chilled-out way. They are not like that. And that is sort of quite helpful to us. They're actually, they're waiting for Jesus with the doors locked because they're terrified of what's happening outside. And so they are properly afraid of what is going on outside. The fear of the Jews. And then Jesus came and stood among them. Okay, doors are locked. Jesus comes in. The locked door, which is locked, you know, their fear barricade, if you like, just walks through their fear barricade and he's in the room he's just like walked right through the fear barricade and he's in the room with them and he says peace be with you he doesn't give them a big counseling session about their fear or go like guys you let me down you know i thought you were building faith not fear sort it out they're terrified he appears gives them peace my peace i give to you As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so if we are locked in with any kind of fear or worry, if we've built some kind of barricade between this and uh, us and the Holy Spirit, we just need to ask, and Jesus walks through that wall of fear, He's not a problem for him. He walks through the wall of fear and he brings his peace and he brings his Holy Spirit. He says, receive my spirit. That's all great, isn't it? He says, receive my spirit. I'm sending you. 
I'm sending you. So there's a mission, there's a purpose. It's like, receive my spirit now. Go and do something amazing. Go and tell people about me. And we see this uh, work out because if we skip on to um, Pentecost, which is if you want to have a look at that, that's in Acts 2. And so Jesus had appeared a few times and he's like, guys, just wait in Jerusalem and you will be clothed from power, with power from on high. And uh, so they are waiting. And these, if you look at what the disciples actually do in scripture, not like with the end in mind, but actually look at how they function, you will see that they are willing, but quite average. They are willing, but they get quite a lot of things wrong and uh, they need resetting. It's not always a great success. But what happens is here, on, and the day of Pentecost had come and they were all together in one place and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what goes on in the story is that they move from being like willing and average to be willing and extraordinary. Peter preaches the preach of his life, you know, and thousands of people become Christians. And he hadn't been to a theological school. He'd received the Holy Spirit. And so receiving the Holy Spirit transforms us as individuals but it transforms the church. It's really interesting to me that Jesus, when he's speaking to people in scripture, and when we're reading the Bible at home, it can all feel very individualistic because we have like individualistic programming. Culturally, we're all like, it's about me, it's about what I think, oh, what's God saying to me? And in the time when scripture was revealed, that it was a much more tribal culture. There was much more sense of community of what I do affects what you do. What we do together uh, is very important. And right at the beginning when, Jesus, uh, when God chose Israel to be a sort of a light to the nations, he chose a, a community of people. And so what we engage with in being part of the Christian faith is a personal faith, but it needs to be expressed in community, one with another. And so when Jesus was saying, wait for the Holy Spirit, he's not speaking to one person, he's speaking to a group of them. And interestingly, uh, in this account of the coming of the Holy Spirit, when the day of Pentecost had come and they were all together in one place. It matters that we do this stuff together. There's a corporate dimension to Christian life. And uh, in Ephesians, the writer explains this. He's like, We are being built together into a dwelling place for God. So how I engage or not with Holy Spirit impacts how Joe experiences the Holy Spirit. And it certainly impacts how the world experiences it. So we are called into a corporate experience of pursuing the presence of God for the good of the world. So that we might speak well of Jesus and thousands of people might become Christians, not because we suddenly have some kind of personal power, but because Holy Spirit has gifted us in an extraordinary way. And the world is desperate for extraordinary leadership. It is desperate for extraordinary demonstrations of mercy and inclusion. And we are invited to be part of being those bringers of mercy and power. So receiving together, waiting together for God is a really important thing. And 
every time, in this, in this passage that we started with, that was helpfully read to us from John, it begins, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. And one of the things Jesus commands us to do is to love one another and to love our enemies as well. And when we say to God, please send your Holy Spirit, we are engaging in an act of worship. We're putting ourselves in the right order. We're saying, God, I believe you when you gave it all that I might receive power and your very presence in my life. We're presenting ourselves before God as able to do, you know, only average at best without him. And we are submitting to what Jesus has asked of us, that we keep that commandment, that we love God, that we say, God, your plans are more important than my plans. Your presence is going to be the thing I'm going to chase down. So when we say, come Holy Spirit, we are engaging in real humility, in recognizing God is who he says he is, and we are people. But we are also recognizing the glorious thing that God wants to impart his very presence into our ordinary lives in order that we might change, the church might change, and the world might be changed for his glory.